Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk 1943, the business spotlight edition. And we have another another fabulous guest. We have Bob here. He's going to talk to us about a lot of things and something that's dear to my heart, 9-11. But we're going to get into more of that. So you ready? Let's talk. Hello, welcome back. We're back. So as I said, we have Bob here today in the, the Pasquale. Make sure I pronounce your last name correctly. It's close enough, De Pasquale. This Pasquale. Okay. All right. Thank you. So we have Bob here. He is a, a purpose-driven impact maker. He believes in everyone that can be a positive impact in this world. And he's going to get a little bit more detail on why he feels that way. So welcome, Bob, to our show. Regina, great to be here. Pumped to have a conversation with you today. Hope, hope things are well up there in Carolina. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So we, we're going to start from the beginning. So I know that you have ties to New York. And so I'm a New Yorker, so let's start there. So tell us a little bit about how all this transpired because after what happened in New York. Sure, so I was born in New York, uh, but I moved to Florida when I was three years old. And okay. so I, I'm pretty much a Floridian, but I think my dad would have disowned me if I didn't root for the New York sports teams. So I, I became very familiar with New York. A lot of my friends and family are from up there. In fact, just about all my family, other than me and my mom and dad, uh, lived in New York for just about all their lives. And so I moved back up there for college, or I planned on moving up there for college when I was 18 years old. Now, I don't know about you, Regina, but when I was 18, I thought I was invincible. Yes. Um, and I fast forward, I just fast forwarded a bunch of years of my, my, my life growing up in, in South Florida. But let's just say, you know, I, I enjoyed my life down here. It's always warm. We were talking about this before, mm -hmm. playing sports outside. And I had an opportunity to play sports when I went to college. And I thought this is going to be this great experience. I'll go, I'll get an education. I'll be able to still play sports and I'll be able to spend some more time with my family that I didn't really spend too much time with because I was, when I was younger, I was growing up in Florida. And I thought I, I would, was going to take on the world. You know how it is. You yes, think exactly. Moving out of the house. I, I was an only child. So, you know, in me some too. cases it was great. Mm -hmm. In some cases it was rough because my parents had an eye on me every minute of the day, all the time. <laughs> And so I was going to get out of the house and go do my own thing, you know, spread my wings. And so I was in my uh, freshman year, uh, before my freshman year started, I was in training camp getting ready to play football and at Hofstra University in Long Island there. Yes. If you're familiar, if you, yes, I am. Mm -hmm, you probably know where Hofstra is. And I was going to play ball up there and things were going great. First couple of days of my freshman year training camp, proving myself to my coaches. And then in a really short period of time, only just a couple of days into the camp, uh, I pulled my groin muscle. And here's another thing that I, I learned. Not only are you not invincible when you're 18, uh, when you pull your groin muscle, you're also very not invincible. I mean, that's a muscle where you don't even realize it. Like you can't stand, you can't walk, forget run around and play football. Uh, so if anyone out there has pulled their groin muscle before, you know, they know how you feel. Yeah, you know how I feel. So I would do this, this exercise to rehab this injury. In the training room now a college training room is much different than a high school training room instead of there are a couple of volunteers and maybe one you know staffed trainer there's like a hundred people running around at six o'clock in the morning getting ready for practice especially during training camp everyone's getting treatment people are getting ice and stimulation and stretching and all this other stuff and here i am on a three-wheeled stool <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I'm shimmying across the training room. It's like, you know, this training room is huge because, you know, it's an amazing facility there at Hofstra. Mm -hmm. and, and 
I'm dodging people. And I, I think that was part of the exercise, dodging people to get from one end of the training room to the other <laughs> on this stool. And people are laughing at me, right? I'm doing this for multiple days in a row. And one day the head trainer, and he's all of maybe five, eight, 120 pounds soaking wet. Oh, wow. He stands up on the, he has to stand on a box to get everyone's attention in the training room. And I don't know if it was actually like this, I could be exaggerating. This is the only part of the story I might be exaggerating. I'm pretty sure it got dead silent at the perfect timing when he was gonna, gonna call me out. He stands on the box and yells at me, hey, Bobby, that's what they called me Bobby at the time. You gotta get back out on the field, quit being a weakling. And I'm thinking, man, you know, I'm supposed to be proving myself. I'm the I'm this crazy 18 year old who's going to take on the world, and here's this little head trainer is calling me out in front of all my <laughs> coaches and new friends. So anyway, I had a meeting with him a little bit later, and I said, Rick, uh, you know, I'm not getting any better. Like, you got to heal. I need to get. I I agree. I need to get back out on the field. He's like, No, I'm going to send you to a doctor. So he sends me to a doctor, and then over a period of the next couple of weeks. I was driving all around Long Island and New York and going all these different places to get every test in the book that you might think. I mean, CAT scans, MRIs, ultrasounds, sonograms. You know, I, I suddenly learned about the medical field in all of the two weeks <laughs> period. And I'm an 18 year old, so I'm technically an adult, but I mean, mentally, I'm definitely not an adult. And I'm driving around by myself, going to all these appointments, filling out paperwork, insurance information, stuff that's way over my head. And these appointments would last like, hours long so finally the day that my parents were supposed to come up to see to see my first college game was a thursday now the game was on saturday and we knew at this point i wasn't going to be playing in this game because of what i had going on but it was a thursday and they were flying up that day from florida i had a doctor's appointment that i expected to take another two hours and i expected to to go into this appointment get out of the appointment and by then they would probably have landed because they were leaving mm -hmm. earlier that day mm -hmm. well I go into the appointment. I mean, I sat down for maybe 30 seconds and they called me right in. I didn't have any extra paperwork to fill out. I went into the office. I sit down at this desk and the doctor comes in a couple minutes, not even, I mean, maybe a minute later and sits down and says, all right, you know, Bobby, you have cancer. And that was it. And he's like, and yeah. I, my jaw dropped, hit the table, did oh. not know what to think. Wow. And he said, I know you're probably in shock. And we'll, I'll get in touch with you, let you know what we're going to do to treat this. Have a nice day. And I was, that was it, Regina. I mean, that's all he said to me. So I get up, I'm in shock. I, I kind of stumble out of the, the office there. And the moment I walked out of this building, I kid you not, I mean, the timing couldn't have been any better. The moment I walked out of this building, my phone rings, it's my mom. And she says, hey, we just landed. How'd the appointment go? And I was like, well, about that. So I had to tell her, I was like, well, mom, the, the doctor said I have cancer. And Regina, I mean, I'll never forget that moment in my life. I could just, my mom said absolutely nothing, but she was screaming all at the same time. Like I could just feel the air come out of the car that she was no. in. And the only thing I could hear was my dad in the background saying, Susan, Susan, what's wrong? And my mom's name is Susan. And he knew something was wrong. He didn't know exactly what I said. Uh, but they knew right away so they were in the car on the way to my uncle's house where we were going to meet so as our, as you remember my, my family's from up there so right. we went to my uncle's house and i mean we were all in shock we shed some tears we we said some prayers and i mean i hadn't seen my parents in a month and that was the first time i think i had ever been away from them for that long 
and it was just a really, really long couple days. Um, and now that was a Thursday. Okay. Now on Saturday, my uncle's best friend early in the morning on Saturday came over his house mm -hmm. and we had never met the guy before. His name was Tim O'Brien. Mm -hmm. And he said hi to my uncle, whatever, and then came over to my parents and introduced themselves and said, here, Bob and Susan, take my keys. You can have my car for as long as you could possibly need it for. I can't imagine what you're going through with your son right now. Wow. And they were like, what? really? Why? I mean, they were so overwhelmed that he was just going to basically give him his car because they knew that they needed a way to get around because we were going to be going to other doctor's appointments and treatments and stuff like that. My oncologist had already been in touch with me that that friday the day before and he told me to continue to take classes so we knew that i was also going to need a way to get around and tim ended up being there for maybe 15 minutes he okay said to my my aunt, uncle had left and that was it never met the guy before in her life gives us his car wow so, a couple days go by i go my first college class monday morning i went to it came out Use Tim's car to drive to a couple doctor's appointments, some more testing, figuring things out. Right. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, man, this is real. I can't imagine what we would do if we would either have to rent a car or borrow one of my families or, you know, that's really nice by this guy. Tuesday morning comes. I go to my second ever college class. I'm coming out of the class and I was hungry. So I went to the cafeteria there and I'm sitting there eating a breakfast burrito. And you know those... TV, this is before flat screen TV. Yes. Televisions like a, a tube television that would hang yes. from a bracket. Hang from a bracket. Yep. Yeah. It's like in the corner of the ceiling mm -hmm. the wall. And I'm, yep. the news is on. Now, you probably knew, know the news stations up there if you're living there, but I didn't know any news stations in New York. I'm whatever's on four, seven, like, nine, and 11. Yes. There you go. <laughs> uh, I, and to be honest with you, I don't remember. I think it was CBS, but I'm watching the news and all of a sudden a plane hits one of the twin towers. Mm hmm. And I'm like, what in the, what is going on? What a horrible accident. So I called my dad and I said, Hey dad, you know, are you watching the news? You see what I, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm watching this. It's crazy. And we're talking for you know, less than a minute. And all of a sudden, bam, second plane hits the other tower. And I'm like, Oh no, that was not an accident. And my dad says, you better, you better come back to your uncle's house. There's something, something's going on here. Right. So I don't even think I finished the burrito. It's probably still sitting there to this day. <laughs> I hop in the car and I drive, I get in the car. Now, subsequently, I, I graduated and I went to the University of Miami. I have a master's degree in broadcast journalism and I worked in radio for a short period wow. of time. Nice. I will never, ever again in my life be that riveted by radio. I mean, I listened to, it took me nine hours, what would normally be a 15 minute drive from Hofstra to my uncle's house. I listened to AM radio the whole time, listening to what happened with the to September 11th terrorist attacks and watching the burning buildings in the distance while I'm driving. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, obviously I'll never forget that day. And I, I, I almost can't even describe what I was feeling at that point. And I pulled into my uncle's neighborhood and ran ahead of gas. So I'll never forget this either. We're pushing my car into his driveway you know like a half a mile down the road or something and we're looking at each other thinking this is unbelievable what's happening to a my life with my illness that i suddenly was diagnosed with and the world right now wow. and we didn't know what to do we i remember sitting at the little kitchen table in my uncle's in my uncle's kitchen there and we're just kind of staring at each other saying nothing um and we we didn't know what to think 
my aunt was hysterical because my uncle had been on business uh, in Denver the night before and we couldn't get a hold of him. Oh, and we're calling no, you know, the cell phones are out. As you know, if you were up yeah. there, I mean, it was just chaos. Even if, you know, mm -hmm. even if you weren't in the Manhattan, it was still chaos on the Island. And my, my uncle finally calls maybe, maybe eight o'clock at night. And he's like, Hey everyone, I'm okay. You know, thank God. I, you know, I, I'm fine. I was supposed to fly back like, you know, but, uh, you know, flights have been canceled. So I'm going to try to catch a flight tomorrow, but just want to let you know, I'm okay. And everyone was like, all right, you know, thank God. But then he was like, I got to tell you something though. Um, Tim, uh, he worked for Kenner Fitzgerald and, and he was in the oh. towers that morning. Um, you know, my friend who just let you let borrow or have his car and, and he died. Oh um, gosh. Along with, you know, hundreds of what? other employees. Oh my gosh. And here's this guy. I mean, one of the most generous things I've ever seen in my life. Didn't even know him, oh. you know, from anywhere. And he came over, gave us his car and come, come to find out, uh, he, you know, he worked for Kenner Fitzgerald, their investment bank, you know, mm -hmm. super, you know, well, if you're in that industry, I mean, and they lost every one of their employees in that building. Mm -hmm. And Tim was, I, I came to find out also that Tim was a very, very generous guy. And so was Kenneth Fitzgerald. That organization, they would get, uh, donate office space to my uncle's foundation. My uncle has a foundation for cystic fibrosis because my, my cousin suffers from that disease. And this foundation had its offices up there as well. Typically no one from the foundation, except for Tammy, who was like their, you know, number one employee, you know, important person of the operation, but she would be there early every morning. Um, but she was uncharacteristically late that morning. I mean, Tammy was apparently never late to the office. She was in the subway underneath there when, when the plane hit, she ended up escaping and her stories are tremendous, but, uh, thankfully no one from the foundation lost their life, but everyone from Canada Fitzgerald did, including Tim. And when we found that out, I was like, wow. I mean, that's, that's truly amazing. And I've since mm -hmm. talked to Tim's kids and he was known for being a really generous guy, but they were just little kids mm -hmm. when that happened. Um, so I'll never forget that, but it always, since that moment or that time in my life, and I have other stories too, but specifically uh, related to that time in my life, I've always made me realize that, you know, we don't know how much time we have on this earth mm -hmm. uh, and we can do things for other people. We need to take advantage of those opportunities. Well, I got to sit, wait, hold on. Let me sit in this for a second. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute okay processing not just your cancer diagnosis that alone at 18 years old is, is past overwhelming mm -hmm. but god divinely ordered this whole thing like for you to get diagnosed it's literally the moment your, your parents landed in new york like mm -hmm. you needed them you know they mm -hmm. were there she called you as soon as you came out that right there is divine order then you you this this man this like an angel just came out of nowhere and said here you go god divines this stuff he mm -hmm. came in right when you needed him right he was telling him it's like god's wink right here you go mm -hmm. i don't know you but it's it's been put on me because you think about it he had to it was premeditated he left his house knowing what he was doing you see what I'm saying? It was put on mm -hmm. his spirit to come to, to come there and say, here you go. Isn't it amazing how everything that's intertwines with each other? Oh, it, it truly is amazing. Um, and I got other things that worked out in that scenario. The reason why I'm here, I, I thought I was going to be the greatest cancer patient known to man and do everything. And I did. I mean, I followed 
the exact sleep schedule my oncologist told me to. I drank the amount of water to the ounce. I ate the food I was supposed to eat at the times I was supposed to eat. I didn't eat anything that I wasn't supposed to. And sure, those things probably assisted me uh, in survival. And they're part of the reason why I'm here today. Uh, but there's a lot of other things too. And if you'll allow me, I have another story. If you talk about oh, yeah. divine intervention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can imagine going through all of that at that period of time is just extremely taxing physically. I mean, I would never wish chemotherapy on anyone. Even I know today it's, they say the drugs and the way they handle it, you know, makes it a little bit more bearable for the body, but it's a terrible thing, but it's necessary to survive. But also mentally, the way that, I mean, what had to happen during that short period of time there was very, very taxing on me. And it, you know, mentally, it probably took me, you know, six months to a year to get over. Physically, I, I, I was healed in, you know, three to four months, five months. Wow. But emotionally, Regina, I mean, it took forever. And so, but the story that I want to tell you specifically related to God's power um, mm. is when I was probably so i was 18 then when i was maybe 22 23 okay. in that area uh i met my my who is now my wife and a group of us met on a mission trip and we were really really close five of us specifically and we became really good friends and would keep in very very close contact even though we were from all other all over the country in the okay. world in some cases some of the other people on the trip and what uh one day we were having this conversation and my wife um she grew up in small town michigan and she was telling us about uh, a teacher that she had. And mm -hmm. this teacher uh, was, you know, kind of a quirky guy, but, ev but everyone really respected him. You know, that type mm -hmm. of person who was a mm -hmm. little strange, but mm -hmm. at the same time was loved and, and appreciated. And mm -hmm. he, he uh, one day at the beginning of class, he, he taught that he taught theology and I think math or so like he taught two very, very different things. And my wife mm -hmm. had him for this one class and he said, class, they went to Christian school and they're like, and he's like, you know, we're going to do this semester periodically, you know, on occasion, we're going to pray for, I'm going to have you all pray for your future spouses. Oh, and I mean, you're a 16 year old girl. Like you're thinking, I mean, maybe you're thinking about getting married. I don't know, but I, I'm thinking, <laughs> I know you're like, like what? <laughs> I mean, for my future, I mean, come on, let me, I can't, I can barely even make my own breakfast. I mean, like, <laughs> let me grow up here. So. You know, whatever you do, you, this guy, everyone likes him, you know, Mr. Zill. So let's, uh, whatever Mr. Zill says, we'll do, you know, within reason. So we'll pray for our future spouses. So she did that for that, for that whole class and never knowing ever like to think of what to, ex you know, to expect of it. And so when our, I guess our relationship was starting to get a little bit more serious. Uh, and so I think we have, at this point, we had decided to start dating and uh, long distance now. So we, we didn't live near each other and we were doing you know, like telling stories about it. She started getting into this about what, what they were doing. I was telling her a little about me and whatever. And um, she really realized that uh, I'm about a couple of years older than her. So when I was a freshman in college, she was a junior in high school. And that was the fall semester she had Mr. Zill, this teacher. And we did the math and we figured out the whole time I was going through that scenario with 9-11 and the cancer and going through all my treatments, she was praying for me consistently throughout that whole time. And she didn't even know who I was. Wow. And we were like, I mean, like that was like the ultimate. Wow. Mind wow. So the it's, power of prayer is amazing. And this is why you're doing what you're doing, because you're supposed to share this stuff. Like, that's the purpose of you being that vessel, because you're supposed to be doing what you're doing right this moment is sharing that. 
because it is in the divine order is true i believe in it coherently and this is like amazing how god works to us amazing super powerful so ever since then uh ever since that moment i mean i not that i didn't believe in prayer before that but i you know i believe strongly in in you know speaking with god and in divine order like you said i mean those things were those things and all the other things that were in my life at that point i mean mm -hmm. my uncles so my niece not my niece excuse me my uh cousin my female cousin my uncle's daughter one of her best friends at that point and she was also a young kid she's probably 10 years more than that younger than me she was in elementary school and her one of her best friends dad was the my ended up being my oncologist and i probably wouldn't have got into his office uh if if i didn't know them because he was one of these type of guys that it took you know it, it would take you know months to even be seen by the guy wow. so there's just all kinds of things um and god did have the hand on that and i do and i, I completely agree with what you're saying i i believe that I'm one of the reasons why I'm still alive is to share that story. Yes, um, I believe that. powerful. I believe that. And I see that you have so much, you know, with that, I see behind you, <laughs> you have a personal finance. So how's that intertwined with what we discussed into that? Yeah. So thank you for asking about that. So it's a book, you know, anyone who's written a book before, you know, it's a, it's a labor of love for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's entitled personal finance in a public world. You may not be able to see the smaller print, but it's about how technology, social media, and the ads of today affect our money decisions. And the way that ties in with my story uh, for me is that I mentioned, I worked in radio for a little bit. I had my, mm -hmm. I had my master's degree in, in journalism, as I mentioned. But I got recruited out of that industry into the financial industry. And I found over my 12 or so years working for a large organization that there's a lot of people who have stresses around money and mm -hmm. technology is only adding to it these days. And technology mm -hmm. is supposed to be this tool for us to make things easier, easier and simpler. Mm -hmm. And I realized it's really stressing people out. And one of the other things I also realized at the same time is that there's a lot of generous people in this world. Um, I experienced it in a, in a kind of unique way back, you know, when I was 18 and, but I've seen other ways and simpler ways to just be generous to people. And it doesn't always have to be financially, but if you're super stressed about your finances, it's very, very hard to live out your generosity. So part of the reason why I wrote this book is because I wanted people to be less stressed about mm -hmm. money and technology. Like you should not feel like I can't pick up my phone and use it because it's, you know, it's, it's something there's going to be an ad or there's going to be retargeting or a cookie or something that's going to tempt me to buy something that, that either a is, uh, not, you know, unaffordable or B just doesn't really do, give me joy or, or I should be doing something better or more wise with my dollars. And right. so the book is, the book is really about helping you make what and it's each chapter is related to a different uh, topic and personal finance, but oh. I hate to give up a, a spoiler. Uh, but the spoiler related to the book is ultimately it's not about how much money you have or the type of investments you have or your budget. It's about your relationship uh, with the resources that you've been provided to uh, sure. been provided with. And we've been talking about divine intervention here. I think God gives us resources to do good things with. Exactly. And so you asked about, you know, the book and, and, and my story. So when I left the large firm that I started, uh, my business partner and I did about a year and a half ago to start our own firm. I think you can see the, uh, the uh, web address there at the bottom of the screen, but mm -hmm. initiate impact is all about helping people make wise decisions so that they can be really generous uh, with the resources that they have. And so the book was kind of the transition between me leaving a large organization where we served, you know, over the years, I served thousands upon thousands of families I worked with on their, on their personal finances. 
Um, but I knew when I started a new company that I would no longer be able to spread myself as thin because I'd have to really focus on who we work with, mm -hmm. with a smaller amount of people. So I wrote the book to be able to make that connection. And I feel like part of my generosity journey uh, is helping other people do, people do the same. So when you were talking about the, the beauty of it is, let me help you get your finances together so you're able to help somebody else. That's the beauty of it because we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to help each other. So I'm gonna make it easy on you because you need to give back. <laughs> so let's get this findings like you know this way yeah. of thing. So you're able to give back. Amen. Amen. That's Absolutely. Great. That and, is beautiful. Yeah, and what I've learned is there are a lot of generous people out there uh, in mindset, but not in practice because they are stressed about those things. And I was pleasantly surprised, honestly, when I got into the financial industry. I thought it was almost going to be a battle for me because mm -hmm. I knew my generosity story. And I was wondering if it was going to be hard for me to have those conversations with people. And to be honest with you, Regina, it's easy. I love having those conversations. In fact, <laughs> I'd way rather have a conversation with you about your generosity and the causes you care about than about taxes and investment strategies and insurance, which I know about because I have to, it's my job. Mm -hmm. But I would much rather talk about the things that are most meaningful. And it. And what I realized in, in that previous role is that people really do want to talk about that stuff. I mean, they would come into the office and they would, if I asked them, so, you know, how'd your budget go? Like, did you pay down your debt this month? Then they, you know, that would almost be like stressful to them. But if I said, mm -hmm. hey, did you go to any, you know, causes, what would you support this weekend? Or did you go to that gala you were telling me about? Or did you go do that service project? And they would just light up and just talk about it for, I mean, I'd have to almost kick them out of the office. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's just the conversations are great. I mean, I love working in that space and uh, it's it's been really good for me. It's been really fulfilling too. And so how do you help people? Let's say they're at the beginning stage and they don't have the funds, but you can still help and build that momentum that you're going to want to do more, you know, yes. until you yes. get your finances together, right? So if you don't have, how can people still give? Excellent. So uh, because, just because we're in the financial industry, uh, doesn't mean that's the only way that you can give. You can give your time, you can give your talents, you can give your treasures, wh which would be maybe other, can be your money or maybe it's other possessions, things that you don't need. I saw a thing the other day on LinkedIn, someone, uh, they've been doing all their meetings virtually now. They don't do public speaking events anymore. And they realized they, have, they had 37 suits, some ridiculous amount of suits he had in his closet. And he said, you know what? Um, you know, maybe my income's a little bit lower because I'm not doing as well because of the pandemic and my, you know, my family's not, I haven't been able to support people financially as much as I used to, but I got all these suits. So he ended up doing this drive and he was able to give 37 people who needed it, who were just starting wow. out in their business career suits. So that's one example. Um, I'll tell you this, it can be as simple as just being kind to people, opening doors, telling them, you know, that you appreciate them. Or maybe asking them, hey, is there something that I, that I can help you with this task? Uh, and that mindset is is really, really powerful. So believe it or not, Regina, when someone comes to us and they're maybe, like you talked about, maybe at a stage in their life where they're just kind of getting things in order, they're just starting to, uh, you know, they're just starting a new job. Maybe their income is not as high as they'd like it to be yet, or they have student loan debt. Uh, we will help counsel them from the technical perspective to work through like the best way to pay off your debt or the best way to fund uh, you know, or, or help them figure out, should they be renting or should they be buying a home? We'll do all of those budgetary things, but throughout that process, we're always going to ask the questions. What are the things that are most meaningful to you? Because I believe that that filter is the first filter that your decisions, whether they're, 
you know, not related to finance or they are, they should always pass through that filter. And I found that if you can do that from the early stages, it's actually easier when you get to the stages where maybe you do have more resources to give. And if you do have more money to give, you're already in that mindset. So we want to start early. So never tell yourself, I will stress, never, never tell yourself that I can't be generous because I don't have enough money. That's just not the case. Exactly. And, and so talking about that, you had said that you did missions and you traveled, right? Mm-hmm. So in traveling, that kind of opens up your mind as well, that you talk about the mindset. So mm-hmm. when you travel, that opens your mindset to see the world in different views and eyes, because a lot of times we get stuck here and we just get into all this social media and, and I got to get the bag, I got the bling and I got the this and I got the that. When you go into yeah. other countries, you kind of like, and I'm complaining, you know what I'm saying? So how how did that change your mindset to probably, it probably included in what you're doing because you saw some other stuff. Yeah. So, so my my previous firm at the the time was the world's largest donor to Habitat for Humanity. If you're familiar with that organization. Yes. They do excellent work domestically. They do, but they also do these international trips. And I was at a stage in my life pretty early in my financial career where, um, you know, I, I, my generosity was definitely lived out more in my time and my talents because I just didn't have the financials to be able to give as much as maybe I would like. I'd be tithing to my church and doing those things. Uh, but really being a sacrificial giver, a radically generous person was hard for me at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to. And I had the amazing blessing of being awarded uh, the, well, I was given an award for the region of the company for the, the divisional volunteer of the year. Uh, and it, it really meant a lot to me. And for two reasons, one, because it was nice to be recognized. It's always nice to be recognized. But in addition to that, every divisional volunteer in the company was part of a trip, uh, an international build a house, Mm -hmm. building a house in another country with habitat. So I went with all the other divisional volunteers and a couple other representatives of the company down to Nicaragua, believe it or not. Wow. Never thought I'd ever go to Nicaragua, although we do, my wife and I do like to travel, but this was early. This is before we really were able to start doing those things. And I'm not saying, I don't know. I'm not saying I'd be in a different place if I didn't go on that trip. Cause I like to, I would like to think I'd still be trying to live out my generosity, mm-hmm. but that was an eye opening experience. Exactly. Like you said, I, maybe I wasn't in a position where I normally would have been able to do something like that on my own volition, mm-hmm. but because the company sent me, um, I, I did, I did raise some money and I did my best effort to participate, but I ultimately was not on the hook for the travel expenses to get down there and do exactly. all that. Exactly. And it was, I tell you, Regina, I mean, it was the most meaning, one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. And I'll tell you this, th- this is why yes, because of what you said, you, we don't realize what we have, you know, in, in many cases, many of the people in the world don't realize what they have. Um, And so that was meaningful too. But the other thing is it made me realize of the value. uh, And this comes up in my book of relationships Mm -hmm. and the people that we served with Mm -hmm. are, I mean, I mean, they're some of the closest people, my closest friends at my company, because I don't, some of the things that we did on that trip and I've Mm -hmm. gone back to many other ones, I lead them now. So if anyone's interested in going to another country and serving, I would, I would love for you to participate. I'm hoping the Habitat worldwide builds start getting, they stop because of the pandemic. But one of the things that I, 
I will never find myself mixing cement by hand and doing the things for my own house. But for somebody else in need, it's amazing how motivated you are. And when you're blood, sweat, and tears with someone else, it doesn't matter that they're from another part of the world or another part of the country. Um, you there's some kind of bond yes, that it you is. create with those people. So, mm -hmm. I mean, and and it makes you want to be more generous. It's it's contagious if you it will. Is. And I would tell any, I would encourage anyone, the moment that you have the time and the resources to be able to do something like that, I would encourage, I would encourage anyone to do it. Amen. You, you, you hit it around the head with that one. It, it, it does. You just got to start. And when you start, and the feeling that you get to help other people is so contagious that you're going to continue to do it. I think it's how God wired us so we would enjoy giving. Because you realize that when you see somebody else's smile, because you made their day better, it makes you smile. So it's like a win-win situation for both sides, right? So Amen. Amen. There's a TED Talk. I had a lady by the name of Wendy Steele mm -hmm. uh, who founded a company called, an organization called Impact 100 Global. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could tell you the whole story, but I think it's better if you just go to see her TED Talk. It might be 10 or 15 years old, but it's oh. all about oxytocin and the hormones of giving and bonding. And it's it's the most powerful 12 minutes of your life. I mean, watch it and you'll be inspired to go somewhere and do something. It's I'm, really, really cool. I'm gonna check her out. Definitely will. So before we leave out today, Bob, is it anything, some final words you want to give us or ways to get in contact with you for your services? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you can see the web, the web address is there. You can find me bobdepasquale.com if you want. If you're running an organization and you want to have a culture of generosity, uh, I'm your guy, would love to address your people and talk about the importance of having a giving mindset and how that helps your company become more productive and helps your employees just feel, feel more joyful in their work. Uh, mm -hmm. Initiateimpact.com is, is our company if you're looking for the help with the finances and giving. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, the last thing I'll leave you with is someone told me once, I heard this, actually I heard this at a concert. And the guy said, he said, you may not change the world, but you may change the world for one. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's always stuck with me, specifically when people ask me questions, hey, Bob, you know, I don't know if I can solve world hunger or, or make clean water for everyone. And that's not what you, we're, we're all not put here to change the entire world, but we are put mm -hmm. here to change it, the world for at least one person. And if everybody do it, everybody change, right? <laughs> that's yeah. the whole point. Yes, ma'am. You got it. Absolutely. That's the point. So thank you so much. This has been so amazing. And I, I definitely... Um, receive what you said because it's, it's a lot of stuff that we need to hear again sometimes we know but we just need to hear it again to kind of put the, the motion behind it so i'm making things happen so thank you so much i really appreciate you today um i would like to thank my my definitely my audience let's talk 1943 for joining us today and please if you're interested in any of the services with bob is offering please contact him the information is on bottom of the screen so until next time i always say god bless and i love you you have a good one <laughs>